Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. The sermon series for the spring and summer is called Conversations. Each week we will take a topic and have members of our congregation talk about it in a pre-taped interview. These conversations are not scripted, and they form the foundation of the sermon being spoken about that day. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Our first scripture passage today comes from 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15. Let us listen for the word of God. I desired then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, also that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works as is proper for the women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she was to be saved through the childbearing, provided that they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to begin by saying Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And I also want to put in context what we read earlier. Uh, I didn't write that, so I just want you to know that, you know, just reading what was in there. And you'll see why we're going to talk about that in a second. So the second scripture comes from Romans. And it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincrea, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you. For she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles And they were in Christ before I was. This is the word of the Lord. So we begin today in this series, as we always do, with a pre-taped conversation between members of our church. And today, we ask the question, what does it mean to be a woman? Let's see what everybody had to say. Lauren, you did a great job. (laughs) What does being a woman mean to you? Being a woman, to me, means being powerful and resilient. Being a woman, to me, means that I'm the lucky one. I've always dreamed of being a mom, and I think it's so special to finally be here. <laughs> well, honestly, to me, I don't really think there are any like, parameters to being a woman. It's like, you can be a woman, you can be whatever you want to be. What kept coming to my mind was that I feel like I'm a human first. And I don't, I mean, there's obviously differences between men and women. The most readily thing is what you see physically, but I just, I think of myself as a human first. Have you experienced injustice because you are a woman? 
in my own personal life, I didn't experience what many do. Um, and then I was in the education field with, back then, um, elementary school was mostly female teachers. All my life I wanted to be a dentist. And when I was growing up in high school, I worked for dentists in town and went off to college with the idea I'd be a dentist. Talked to the dentists in town and none of them were supportive. None of them were supportive. That was all the negative parts of it. It wasn't anything like, what a wonderful idea, go for it. And at the end of the conversations, it was always, well, be a hygienist, dear, or be a teacher. Oh it's something God. to fall back on. I, I'm an event planner, so we're on site for events. It, it sometimes the directive when you're being, when you're having to tell someone and correcting a certain behavior or a certain, I'm sorry, we can't do that. It does come off differently sometimes, and just the delivery with it, and just the pushback that you could receive. Oh, oh my science <laughs> class—that's a perfect example. So many kids think I'm not smart because I'm a girl. And it's just like, I mean, it's kind of fun to prove them wrong. Yeah. What's great about being a woman? I think it's good that girls can express themselves. I think a lot of times boys have it harder because they sometimes keep their emotions in, whereas girls are more vocal about their emotions, and I think that's a good thing. I feel like when you get a group of women together, there's kind of a, there's, there's no judgment to where you can be a goof, you can just have fun, and you can just kind of let, your, let yourself loose and just have a dance party. Like, you can just talk about the most random stuff, and they won't judge you for it, which is the best thing. I feel that I have just been able to follow the role that I dreamed of as a little girl. You know, I, whether it was starting with going to prom, going to college, going to be a teacher, all those things that were kind of female things, and then uh, being a wife, a mother, um, and fortunately a grandmother. Um, I just have felt that this is what I always anticipated, and I'm very happy with all that. In our day, I think being a woman is great because we have a chance to change history. Like I said, our generation is uh, giving women a bigger voice and giving them more opportunities, and it's just awesome to me that we have the opportunity to change that. What needs to change for women to receive equitable treatment with men? No offense to your generation, but I think a lot of it is stuff like that. Like, Older men just don't, they were raised at a different time and that's what they grew up thinking, that women are doing different work and they're not, they're not really on the same level and now that things have changed, the, some of those mentalities haven't changed with the, the times. What needs to change is people's mentality for their roles in a household, like the roles can change, like the women can uh, bring in more money than the men and people should know that that is okay to do. Well, pay, because... Yeah, women get paid less than men do. Um, I, I saw this thing that was like, for every dollar a white man makes, it's like, it had for each different like minority of like woman. And it was like, I don't have the exact number, so don't quote me on this, but like, it was like 80 cents like a black woman would mm -hmm. make. But like, it was like, even went down, and it was like, Hispanic woman makes 50 cents for 
the exact same job that a white male would do. I think women need to be proud of their choices and whether that is you're choosing to work, you're choosing to work a part-time job, a full-time job, you choose to stay home, you can't stay home and you have to work, you have to be proud and strong in those decisions and figure out how to lean on others to help, help yourself through those moments. What advice would you give to younger women? If you have a dream to become something, don't let people talk you out of it. Look at yourself as an equal, and you will be. Just work for it. So women aren't just seen as mothers, daughters, sisters. Just women were seen as an equal. Sometimes women um, or young girls think that they need to go above and beyond and do everything, which no one can do everything, and you're going to have to draw the line at some things. And so you, I think you do need to set your priorities and know what things are worth your time and what things aren't. My biggest piece of advice to girls and to women would be to surround yourself with strong, positive people because you need that to stay strong yourself. And I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I could think of is just embracing your uniqueness and just knowing that you're, you're awesome for who you are. Do you have any advice for girls? To be yourself. So, I think we should going to begin today. I want to begin by saying that I've spoken to many women who have told me that this particular holiday, Mother's Day, is their favorite holiday of the year. More so than their birthdays or Christmas where they give presents. Like, they like Mother's Day more than any other day because it's the day that honors the sacrifices they've made for their children. And so, in honor of the mothers and the women of this church, I want to have a very frank discussion today about women's role in society, where it's been, and how it's evolved, particularly in the last 100 years. And then I want to talk about how the Bible has contributed to this debate over women's rights throughout the centuries. To begin, let's just get it out there on the table that throughout most of human history, women have lived in the shadow of men. In many societies, women were treated as second-class citizens, or even worse, as property to be traded and swapped among men. And unfortunately, that mentality is still very pervasive in different parts of the world. Saudi Arabia, one of our closest allies in the Middle East, has one of the worst track records when it comes to women's rights. In Saudi Arabia, a woman is not allowed to mingle with a man in a public space. A woman cannot go anywhere without a male chaperone. Indeed, if a woman even initiates a conversation with a man, she can be jailed and ultimately fined a huge amount of money. Now, from our perspective, particularly here in America, we look at restrictions like that and we think of them as being backwards and discriminatory. And part of the reason why we think that is because we have come so far in terms of our understanding of women's rights in the Western world. But even though we look at them and we think of Saudi Arabia and countries like that as being very backwards, you have to understand that Saudi Arabia is really representative of how women have been treated in the Middle East for millennia. If you go back and look at all of the societies that have dominated that area of the world, you look at the laws about women, you will find that they have a strikingly similar tone to one another. Let's take the Bible, 
as an example of that. The Bible, of course, is representative of a culture that dominated a certain part of the Middle East. Let's take a look at a verse from the book of Numbers. This is in the Old Testament. This is one of the Old Testament laws. It says, when a woman makes a vow to the Lord or binds herself by a pledge. Basically what that means is, is that when she says something, whatever, whatever that might be, while within her father's house, in her youth, and her father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand. And any pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father expresses disapproval to her at the time that he hears of it, no vow of hers and no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. In other words, what this is saying is that the thoughts of a woman are always subject to the censorship of the ruling male in her life. In this particular passage, it's her father. If you read a little bit further, that same authority is given to her husband. And there's lots of rules like this in the Bible. If you read all through all of them, a ton of them are cringeworthy. You sit there and you say, ooh, that's bad. And the fact is, is that this is really tough for us because in our modern world, you look at things like this and you can't help but come away feeling as though the Bible is somewhat antiquated and out of date. You know that word we use in our modern world, optics? We've got to change the optics. This is bad optics for us. I'm telling you right now. Because when you're trying to bring people into the church, right, new people, and they read stuff like this, they're sitting there saying, why are you wasting your time? We're trying to go forward. This stuff is taking us backwards. There's no point in spending our time reading this stuff. And of course, what I would tell you is, is that everything has to be put into context, into its time and its place. So the context of the Bible is what we read right here. This was written by men in a patriarchal society where men were in control of everything. And I think many people reading this today, they have this thought that goes through their head, where they sit there and they say, well, clearly these men, they were writing this in order to suppress women and to keep men on top. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's why they were writing this. I don't think they had the thought that went through their mind. They were like, yeah, this is going to keep women in their place, you know? Like, I don't think that they were thinking that at the time. The Bible is simply a reflection of the time and culture in which it is written. If we could jump back, if we get in a time machine, we go back in time, and we go and we could talk to the people who lived in the Holy Land around 400, 500 B.C. when this stuff was being written down, we would find that both men and women had an expectation that men were supposed to be in control of everything. Now, I'm not saying that their perspective was the right perspective. All I'm saying is that the concept of men being in control, that's all that they knew. They had nothing else to compare it to like we do today. And so laws like this, they seemed very reasonable to the people at the time. And so what does this tell us? It tells us that our environment shapes our understanding of the world. And you could hear this in the video, right? Just look at Caroline Hempelman and her grandmother, Diane Larson. They're sitting together. These are two women from very different generations, right? And Diane, she talked about this idea of how she liked the way that she grew up. She was very happy with the way she was raised. The idea that she could grow up and that she could go to the prom and she could become a teacher and get married and have a family. You know, that was reasonable for her. She liked that. And she didn't mind the fact that there were certain areas of life that were off limits to her. 
simply because she was a woman. It didn't matter to her because the options that were laid out in front of her seemed perfectly reasonable. But as the environment changed, our opinions changed, right? That's what occurs. And so you can see that her granddaughter, well, she has kind of a different point of view because the environment in which her granddaughter grew up in was very different than what Diane grew up in. And the same is true in the Bible, by the way. You can see this progression in the thinking about women. So the difference in time between the Old Testament and New Testament is about 600 years. That's how long between, it was like four or 500 B.C. for the Old Testament, and then the New Testament is like the first century A.D. So it's about a 600-year gap. And in that time, a lot changed in the Holy Land. In particular, what changed is the fact that the Jews were being ruled by the Romans. Now, why is that important? It's important because the Romans had a very different mentality towards women than the Jews did, particularly in the Old Testament. So to give you an example of this, Roman women, they were allowed to go wherever they wanted and to do whatever they pleased. Women in Rome were allowed to own property. Indeed, women were allowed to run businesses both alongside and independent of their husbands. So women had a lot of freedom. And this mentality, this more liberal attitude towards women, it started to have an effect on the Jews who lived in the Holy Land. And so by the time you get to Jesus, he's walking around Galilee doing his ministry, right? He's got a whole different set of expectations than what we read in the Old Testament. Those Old Testament laws, they don't apply in the same way they used to. One of the biggest problems I see with pastors is that they assume that what they're reading in the Old Testament, that that just went straight through, that it never changed. That people were just like, well, it says it here, and so it applies right here. That's not true. People change based on the environment. And you can tell this because if you look in the Bible, Jesus is surrounded by women all the time. They're an important part of his ministry. Just how important is a very interesting question. So we read this verse from this letter called Romans. And it was written by this guy, Paul. Follow me on this. This is important. So Paul, he goes around the Mediterranean. He sets up all of these churches. And what happens is he sets up the church. He comes over. He says, okay, I got the church set up. I'm going to go set up another church. Well, he leaves. And of course, these people, they have questions brand new. They're like, what do we do in certain situations? And they get into conflict with each other. So they write Paul and they say, Paul, what do we do? And Paul, he writes back. And the letters that we have in the New Testament Those are his responses to what their issues are. Now, at the end of the letter to the church in Rome, what we call Romans, there's this interesting ending where he's greeting everybody. I read a little bit of that. And he's saying, saying, you know, greet all these people, right? But there's this one that really sticks out. It's kind of fascinating. He says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my comrades who are in prison with me, for they are prominent among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Now to you, that verse might not mean that much, but that's a really important verse. Because notice what it says right there. They are prominent among the apostles. Now if you look at that, that might mean one of two things. It might mean, one, they're just important to the apostles. Or if you read it in Greek, you come away and you're not sure whether or not these two people are apostles. Now, realize that Andronicus, he's clearly a male, but Junia is a female. And the apostles, by the way, just in case you're wondering, what is that? Those are the people who are closest 
to Jesus. These are the leaders that Jesus has go out on his behalf. And so you have these two people, Andronicus and Junia, and Junia might be an apostle. Now, if you know your Bible well, particularly the New Testament, you would sit there and you'd say, well, Alex, aren't the apostles all men? And that's true if you look at the Gospels, right? But the Gospels, they're written decades after what we're reading right here. This is much closer to the early church, so it's more reflective of what was actually going on. And so if Junia is an apostle, well, that doesn't just mean that women were important. That means that they were leaders in the church. If you think I might be going out on a limb on this and kind of interpreting it a little bit too far for my own purposes, because, you know, I like having women in the church. It's a nice thing. Right, Judy? Yeah? If you think I'm going too far out on a limb here, I'd like to point out something to you, which is that 400 years after this was written, when the Catholic Church was copying this text, because remember, they had to copy it all by hand when they went through. When they were copying this out, they changed this verse. And they added an S, a sigma, to the end of Junia's name. So jump forward for me. So Junia is feminine, right? That's what it looks like in the Greek. And then they add the Greek letter S to it, which changes it and makes it a masculine name. So, in a sense, what they were trying to do, right, is they were trying to prevent women from being leaders in the church because they knew that this verse opened up the door to that possibility, and they wanted to shut that down. Now, the reason why we know it was changed is because we have earlier copies of the letter to the Romans, and we know that it was originally without that S at the end of it. And so what this tells us is that not only was Jesus very distant from that Old Testament law that we read, but he had women who were important in the church and more than likely they were leaders in the early church. But that's Jesus. And times change after he leaves, right? Decades go by. And the men in the church, they don't particularly like this idea of women being in leadership. And so there are some men who penned a letter called 1 Timothy. And in this letter, it contains verses that are very derogatory towards women, very much the opposite of what we read just now and what we see of women possibly being leaders. And this is what it says. It says, Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. Are you seeing the theme? You're supposed to be quiet, okay? Very important. She will be saved through childbearing. Oh, that's brutal right there, right? And it gets even worse. Now, if you don't have a kid, right? Now, you can't be saved, but you get saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. That's rough. Now, 1 Timothy, do you know who it's attributed to? Attributed to Paul, the same guy who wrote Romans, what we were just reading. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's two different authors. And do you want to know how we know that it's two different authors? For two reasons. The first reason we know is because if you compare the Greek of how Paul wrote, the letters we know he wrote, versus this, you can tell that it's two different authors. Now, the author of 1 Timothy is trying to mimic Paul's style. There's no doubt about it. But if I write a letter, and then you try to mimic my style, 
chances are you're probably not going to be able to get it exact, right? And we can tell based on the phrasings that it's a different person who wrote it. The second thing that it tells you, or the reason why we know it can be somebody different, is that it starts from Paul. It actually says it's from Paul. But you have to realize that at this time, it was very common for people to write in the name of their leaders. So today we would call that what? If I took your name and I said something in your name without you knowing it, what would we say? That's plagiarism. But back then, it was honorable. If you came, like if you were a disciple of Paul or a disciple of a disciple of Paul, you would write in their name because what it would say is that you are close to that person, that that's how well you know this person, that you can write in their name. That's how well you know their teaching. So this was written about 100 CE. Now, Paul, he dies in the mid-60s, early 60s. So that's 40 years later. And they're writing for a very specific situation that has arisen in the church. So Jesus, let's go back to him real quick to understand. When he starts his ministry in 30, who are the people who are predominant in his church? What are they? They are Jews. Jews, mostly. Right? But by 100, 70 years later, things have changed. And now the church is filled predominantly with non-Jews, or what we call Gentiles. And these Gentiles, they are mostly Roman citizens. And remember, what did I tell you about Rome? They have a very liberal attitude towards women. And so these women who are coming into the church, right, they're used to, in the Roman cults, like with Zeus and all that stuff, they're used to having leadership roles in those cults. So they come out of those cults, they come into the church, and what are they expecting? Well, they're expecting to have leadership roles, right? And so when they come in, these guys don't like it. And so they pin this letter with the intention of silencing them because women were coming to dominate the church. The church was predominantly women in the first century, and they wanted to shut that down. And so on behalf of the men, or the man who wrote this, I'd like to offer an apology to the women of this church and the women of the world. Because honestly, these verses have been some of the most harmful verses written about women in the entire Bible. Not only did it marginalize women in the church, but it created a culture where women felt that they were less in God's eyes simply because they were women. Had these letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, because they're similar in their tone, had they not been written, I don't think we would have had to wait until the 1970s for women to be ordained pastors in our church. I think if these letters hadn't been included, that ultimately we would have seen that the church could have really lifted up women, and they could have been what Jesus intended them to be, rather than holding them back. Instead... It would take nearly 1,800 years for women to overcome the barriers that have been put in place due to what we find in the Bible and how that had been woven into Western thought. And it began in the 1800s with the woman's right to own property. Then in the early 1900s with the woman's right to vote and to be able to hold public office. And then the biggest hurdle was when women started to go and venture out into these workplaces that were traditionally held by men. They went into places of work and study that were not open to them. And as you heard Jane talk about, 
Jane was on the very front end of all this when this was beginning. She got shut down. She went to the dentist and said, I'd love to be a dentist. And they said, no, that's okay. Because she was a woman, for no other reason. As we get into the 1960s, all that begins to change. Women start to come into the workplace. And of course, they had to face discrimination, sexism, harassment. You watch Mad Men, that's a really, really good show that talks about what was happening with the women as they were coming into the workplace. As these women did this, men made it very clear that they did not like women coming into territory that was traditionally theirs. And if you were the type of woman to step outside those conventional female roles, you paid a price. Because you had to work twice as hard as a man to prove your worth, and you were paid half as much. I have heard many women who came up during this era, they lament the fact that the younger generations of women do not appreciate the barriers that the older generations had to knock down to create the world that they live in right now. And I get that. Because if you're the one who's forming the path through the thicket, if you're cutting it all down, you're going to get the scrapes and the bruises and the cuts. You want people to appreciate what you did, right? I mean, that's what you want. But have you all ever gone walking on a path in the forest? Have you ever done that? Do you ever think about who made the path? No, you don't think about that. You just walk on the path that's laid out before you and you enjoy it. And that's what's happened today, which is these women, they did a lot of hard work to create a path. And now, women in 2016, they have a much clearer way to almost any job that they want to do. And that shows we've come a long way in 60 years in that regard. But as you heard in the video, even though the path is clearer than it's ever been, it's still not as level as it is for a man. And this becomes even more complicated when you bring race into the equation. As you heard Katie Larson talk about, a Hispanic woman makes 54% of what a white male makes for the same job. African-American women, they make 64%. White women make 78%. If you want to know where these statistics come from, what she was quoting, she's quoting the Federal Government's Bureau of Labor Statistics. You can go look that up yourself if you want to see where those figures come from. What are these figures saying? What are these statistics talking about? What they're saying is that it's not a level playing field for everyone. I know that's a shocker, isn't it? That it's, not, that it's not a level playing field. Everybody knows that. But the fact is, is that that's the world we live in. And you can see this. Just look at kids who are born in poverty versus a kid who is born with resources. That's one of the biggest inequities that we see. A kid born into poverty is going to have to overcome a lot more hurdles in life to achieve the same goals as a kid who is born with resources. That's why we're doing our mission here in the church. Our mission here in the church is to level that playing field, to help people who don't have resources or the background to help them create a better life for themselves and their families. And the reason why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because Jesus tells us to. In Matthew 25, that's a level the playing field kind of verse right there. He talks about the idea of how we need to go out, we need to help people who have less. If we have more, it is incumbent upon us to give to those who have less. And the same question is being asked of us with women. Jesus is asking us what we can do to help make life fair for women. How can women thrive in the same way as men? That's the question he's asking us. What can we do to make that a possibility? And I think that the answer to that question is found 
in Jesus' teachings on servanthood. Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that we are to be the servants of others. And women have been the servants of men for a long time. And so I think it is incumbent upon us as Christian men to be willing to be a servant to the women in our lives. We need to adopt a posture of servanthood towards the women who we know. Because by doing that, we will create the necessary environment where women can overcome the barriers that have traditionally prevented their upward mobility. It takes us as men being willing to step back and say, yes, we have been in control, we have been the ones who have been in power, and now we must show deference and servitude to people who have had less than us so that women can have the possibilities that we have had. And so I want to end this morning by speaking to the men in here. Do you know how you go out of your way to do really nice things for the women in your life on Mother's Day? Or at least if you haven't yet, you really should after this sermon is over. (laughs) You know how that's what you're supposed to do? Well, if you want Bailey Dean, if you want Katie Larson, the daughters of this church, to grow up in a world where they have the same opportunities as men, then guys... I think we need to start treating every day as though it were Mother's Day. And I think the women in here will say amen to that. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.